Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kick. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the latest edition of the Golf Exposed podcast, fresh off my trip to scenic and historic Jacksonville, Florida. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, and John Brown, fresh off his trip to pretty much everywhere in the lower 48 states. Listen, I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. He's the president and CEO of Great Life Golf. John, welcome back to your podcast, my podcast, the people's podcast, the players' podcast, Golf Exposed. Welcome back, John. Great to be here been very busy very exciting times for us with the merger that happened on september 1 and just feeling great about our position moving forward in the industry and the impact we can make a few months removed from said merger it's been in golf news everywhere is it what you expected is it not what you expected just different but just as good better how has it exceeded or met your expectations? The partnership with our partners uh, on the Great Life side, the other owners, has exceeded my expectations. Our synergy is great. I think the way we think about the business and opportunities is very aligned, and I'm very excited about the investments we'll be able to make in the industry and other golf assets and bring them into the Great Life portfolio. From a transitional standpoint, you know, there's obviously hurdles with every merger, but I think the team has stepped up, done a fantastic job, both sides have integrated very well, and uh, we're all rowing in the same direction. I have got to meet several members of the Great Life team here that are in the office, and I got to be on site and meet not only some great staff members at the club level, but also some players, and they are aware of the merger. They see the positive strides that Great Life is making and efforts that they are making, so it's not going unnoticed. I want you to know that at a club level, because sometimes when you are you know, at golf conferences and traveling and trying to be everywhere all at once. You don't get to sit down and talk to people one-on-one, but I got to do that a week or so ago. They are taking notice. So well done on that note. Well, it is budgetary season, Jordan. Everyone has a price. So I'm still involved in the budget because I like to sit down with the employees once they submit their budgets at each property and, and talk to them and make sure that they know who I am and I know who they are. And we go through that process and set the expectations for what we're trying to achieve in the following year. I've enjoyed those interactions with the new folks on the Great Life side that came in to this portfolio. And then obviously the Brown Golf Clubs that are now part of Great Life. I'm intimately involved in those properties. But I know those opportunities are going to be a little bit more fewer and far between. So I cherish the times I get to sit down and actually uh, speak with our employees and just you know, set the path of what we're doing moving forward. We have a lot of great people in this company. We really do. I'm proud of the company because of the people. Definitely. Great people. And the, and the players and the patrons and the members of the club are top notch as well. And they really enjoy it. And when there is a change made, they let you know what they think too. They're not afraid to tell you how they feel, which we appreciate. The metric system is the tool of the devil. My car gets 40 rods to the hog's head. And that's the way I like it. Absolutely. Honest feedback. I'm going to, if, if, if it's the last thing I do on this planet, I'm going to get you to admit that this is cool. I know you're very humble and you mean it and it's sincere. However, once again, you made the Golf Inc. magazine top 25 most powerful people in golf. You're actually up from where you were last year. Last year was impressive. Now it's a little bit better. Creeping up, creeping up. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. You are rubbing elbows with the big wigs in the industry and... 
I know you're going to downplay it and I know you're humble and I know you mean it when you say it, but if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to get, get you to admit you have to think this is at least kind of cool. No, I think it's kind of cool for sure. I, I it's a, obviously an honor to be listed. I appreciate golfing, noticing what we've achieved as a company in great life now. And then obviously with what we've done with golf back, you know, I look at that list and obviously there's some huge names in, in the sport of golf. Uh, you know, I really dissect it down and I really look at the names that are operators and MCO presidents. And it's an honor to be on the list with those folks. And of course, there's there's celebrities and former presidents and, you know, industry icons that are on there too. And so just, I, I got to ask you from a layman's perspective, out of curiosity, any correlation to the number that you rank with like the salary that you make, because you're on the same list as Trump and Tiger Woods. So are you a billionaire yet? We have to solve it bigly and strongly. Well, I'm a little ahead of Trump, I think on that list. So yeah, no, I think there's no correlation actually. (laughs) Although who knows how much Trump actually has made, you know, nobody knows. We haven't seen his tax returns. Yeah. What does he make versus what does he report? Who's to to say? So um, what's coming up in the future? We have a great guest on today's show, which we'll get to momentarily. However, what's in the future? What's down the pipeline in the near future, the end of this year and the beginning of next year for Great Life Golf. we got a lot of things going on, a lot of irons in the fire. Right now, we're entering into our first sales agreement uh, to purchase a golf course. So that news will be coming out here shortly, which is exciting. The first acquisition uh, under the new Great Life Golf company. We're also acquiring a four-club portfolio and a management deal as well. So those announcements will come sometime in Q1 of 2023. All things run smoothly. That should be another five golf courses uh, added to our portfolio. Positive momentum there. Really focusing on who we are and what we're offering. The services that we offer, you know, we're a company that buys golf courses, so acquisitions, we'll lease golf courses, we'll third-party manage golf courses, and we provide accounting management. Really, those are our four core services that we're focusing on at Great Life Golf. What is our brand? And really, we've taken a lot from the hotel industry and exactly what they've done segmenting their brands, and we're really looking to deploy the same strategy. So we've got a signature brand, which is really our luxury brand. It's really high-end private clubs. We've got our premier brand, which we focus on as our experience brand, which is they're more semi-private facilities, championship golf, food and beverage that supports the overall experience for that day at the golf course. We've got our classic brand, which is really pure golf. It's about golf. It's an opportunity to come in, get around in, really enjoy the time you're spending with your friends. And then we've got our destination brand, which is our resort brand where, you know, our golf courses in special destination golf markets. There's usually a lodging component, really more of a resort feel. And those are really the four brands that we're looking to move forward with. I think by positioning the brands, it'll help us look at new opportunities. It will also help us creatively talk to other golf course owners and operators in the marketplace about the services we can offer and how their club might fit into one of those brands. So I haven't even run this by you, so I don't know if this will make the cut or not, but I'm just going to ask you candidly. Now, when you hear a signature brand or you watch the very well put together promotional videos that you'll be seeing shortly, a signature club would look to a layman like myself, like, okay, that's the really expensive high-end one. Then you have your premiere, your classic, and your destination. They all look really nice, though. So in your opinion, John, do you treat a signature 
or a premiere or a classic or a destination brand any differently than one another? Or are they all treated with the same passion? Are they all given the same amount of attention? Or how do you differentiate? Well, they're all rooted in the same operational playbook and the passion's identical for all, right? But I think we'll have different marketing playbooks for the different properties. And obviously, based off the property and the geographic location and just the footprint of the overall market the club exists, one of those brands is probably going to make a little bit more sense as far as the operating model for that club. So it's not one uh, size fits all in golf by any means. There are no two clubs that are identical. And so it's important to segment our brands. It's really going to provide a great template moving forward for finding the right situation for each club that we interact with. John, tell us a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Ross Leggett is all about using data to create a better golf industry. There's a lot of synergy there with your belief system. How do you get to know Ross and what is he all about before we bring him in? Well, Ross is a guy that I've bumped into over the years at different functions, golf industry events. I say this in full sincerity. What Ross does, how he deploys his business strategies and the information he has is very impressive. As a matter of fact, he's impressed me just as much as about anybody else that I've interacted with in the industry. So I am super excited to have Ross on, pick his brain, learn from him, and see what his company, Metolius, is doing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. And John, our esteemed guest at this time, Ross Liggett is all about using data to create a better golf industry. Ross is a graduate of Virginia Tech University. He's done seemingly everything one can do in the golf industry, from tournament coordination to sales and marketing, all sorts of hospitality, and of course, management. Ross has worked with a who's who of companies in the golf industry, and about three years ago, he ventures out to launch Metolius Golf. Now, John, before we bring him in, how did you and Ross get to get a chance to know each other? Industry events uh, over the years, just bumping into each other, sharing creative ideas of how he was attacking his business, what we were doing with golf back and then inside of our former management company, Brown Golf Management, and now Great Life, and was always a really intriguing guy who I thought brought a lot of innovation uh, to the industry, and I'm excited to talk to him. Well, Metolius Golf, and we're going to let him tell the tale, but they help small businesses leverage modern technology. They provide managed business intelligence services to make data-driven decisions. Sounds a lot like what we do with golf back here. So let's bring him in without any further ado. Ross, with all the stuff that you have going on that I just articulated, you sure you have nothing better to do than to talk to us? Oh, I wouldn't be doing anything else. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. And a rich, serene voice as well. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever done any broadcasting? No, no, and that is definitely not in my future. Okay, we won't make you do it. So first and foremost, John and I agree, Metolius is a really cool name. Um, is there any origin story to that? I, I think probably the best part of the origin story is that, man, is it hard to find a name for your business that nobody is using. Um, but there is a uh, there is a, a little bit of a, a story behind it. So uh, Metolius, um, the Metolius River is a river in Oregon that uh, is spring fed and it, it literally comes out of a hole in the side of a mountain. Um, and it's sort of an analogy for what we do in our business where, you know, the, the Metolius River kind of pops out of this hole and it, and it feeds this whole valley of life and, you know, not just the fish that live in the river, but the whole, you know, ecosystem, right? And And in the same way, we try to make, you know, data kind of appear out of nowhere. Um, and then we believe that that data 
is, you know, very akin to the ecosystem, right? It is that data that allows the golf course owner, manager, department head to really understand what's happening in their business and make really strong, sound business decisions. So um, there is a story. We had other names that, uh, or I had other names that I wanted to use, but um, it seems to fit pretty well. And, and we think the analogy for what we do, you know, in the company is is pretty spot on. I like the name even better now, Jordan. Yeah, there's actually like a story behind it. I, I, I was assuming you'd be like, ah, oh, it sounded cool. It was, <laughs> wasn't taken. Everything is taken. You're right. I, on my own podcast, I had to like settle for something stupid. I wanted it to be like pot of war or something cool, but everything's taken. So well done. Good for you for actually having, you know, some, some deep meaning behind it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it's a special place for me. I spent a lot of time there as a kid. It's where I learned how to fish, which is kind of my main, uh, my main passion in life. So it means a lot to me personally as well. Well, John, we have a lot to talk to Ross about. And one thing that Matolius does is, uh, other than what I said, they provide marketing automation tools and services to increase customer engagement. Something you talk about all the time. Sounds like a competitor. Yeah, it does. Just kidding. Let's pick this guy's <laughs> brain and pawn off his ideas as our own. No, he's really attacked it in a different uh, format than we have. And uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into what Ross does and, and his background. So, Ross, why don't you just give everybody a little bit about your personal background and your experience and sort of what led you to creating this company? So my career has been a little circuitous. I started, you know, like many uh, golf professionals out there. Um, I, you know, picked up range balls as my first ever job. I hustled bags. I worked at a club through uh, college. I thought I wanted to be on the PGA tour. And then when I realized that wasn't going to happen, uh, I thought I wanted to be a golf professional. And, and then I taught a golf lesson and I realized that really wasn't for me. Uh, but I, but I love the industry and I love the game uh, and I wanted to stay in it. So I just sort of gravitated over to the, you know, business side of golf. Um, and eventually uh, into the, you know, really sales marketing and technology. So um, I spent my whole professional career after college working for multi-course operators. Uh, eventually, I was a, a regional uh, sales and marketing director or head of marketing. Um, and the story of Metolius is really the story of me not feeling like I had the right tools to be good at my job in those roles as a, as a regional person. Specifically, I had no access to the data that I felt was necessary to make data-driven decisions uh, at, at the golf course level. Um, and that's really, you know, the core of what Metolius is. It's about enabling the ability to use data to move the business forward. Ross, if I ever write a novel, which I'm pretty sure I will do, I'm going to title it The Circuitous Path. All right. So, so that that's copywritten. I don't even know what it means. I'll Google it. But hell of a vernacular. Well, it's, your, it's, your, it's your podcast, right? So built in, uh, built in copyright, right? You would know more about that than I do. I just I just throw stuff at the wall and hope it sticks and hope John doesn't get sued. Um, but as an entrepreneur, and we have a lot of young entrepreneurs who listen to this program, John speaks with them a lot. I find it fascinating that someone that has the background that you have, that's worked for the large companies you have. And correct me if I'm wrong, but about three years ago, you sort of branched out and at least became a, a founder or a co-founder of Metolius Golf. So what was it like for you to leave what I assume is at least a somewhat secure role, probably a decent salary, to chase your aspirations, branch out and become uh, an owner or founder, for lack of better terms? Was there apprehension there? Was it just something you couldn't shake? Or what was that transition like? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's it's all of those things, really. Um, you know, I think, and, and I've always I've always had the entrepreneurial mindset. You know, uh, you know, mowing lawns and and shoveling driveways and and uh, you know all those little jobs that I had when I was a kid to try to make a little a little extra money to do the things that I wanted to do. And 
you know, I feel like throughout my professional career, before I started Metolius, I, I was still always looking for that opportunity, right? What What is the opportunity? What is the idea that that I'm willing to risk so much on, right? And and you know, you nailed it, right? I, I'm a I'm a I'm a dad. I'm a I'm a husband, right? I have uh, all these responsibilities, and I you know I couldn't just you know jump at any uh, opportunity and. You know, really what I think made the difference in Metolius was a, was a couple things. And I think the biggest thing is that I knew that I would buy Metolius services if they were available from another company. Um, and I knew that uh, there were other people like me who also were feeling the same pain. Um, and so that was a that was a big part of it. Like I knew this product was needed in the marketplace. I also knew that this product existed in other industries and just hadn't made its way to golf uh, yet. Um, and so that was a big part of uh, the decision to make the jump. Um, and another thing was just support of uh, people in the industry who I had worked with, you know, before I, before I, you know, handed in my resignation letter and started paying the lawyers to write up our docs, right. I, I put the feelers out there like, Hey, if this product existed, would you buy it? How much would you pay for it? Right. All those little things. And so there was a lot of due diligence that went into uh, making the jump from sort of the corporate world to kind of the startup world. Um, but really what I tried to do is just minimize as much of the risk as possible. And uh, I guess three years later, we've, we've minimized a fair amount to make it that long. And, and hopefully we have, you know, many more years in front of us. How many golf course clients are you working with currently, Ross? Uh, we work with just over 100 golf courses uh, right now, and we have uh, more than 400 uh, unique users of our platform. So one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is we do not charge by the user. Um, and we really think it's very, very important that all of the department heads and decision makers at any given golf course have access to the data uh, we like to make the analogy that that our dashboards are like scoreboards. Um, and when you put a scoreboard in front of a department head and allow them to understand how their department is performing within the larger plan of the operation, that empowers that manager to make strong decisions to grow their segment of the business. Uh, and so we think it's very, very important to sort of uh, democratize data throughout the organization and put some of the onus on the business uh, unit managers to actually own their business unit and drive each individual business unit forward in pursuit of whatever the larger goal is. I want to give you a scenario and I'd like to have you describe it if you don't mind. So I'm a golf executive, been around for a long time, perhaps a GM at a golf course, or maybe I have an ownership stake in a course. I'm over 50. I look like the traditional golf executive throughout our industry, right? I love the game of golf. I am not comfortable with technology, but I've got an innovative assistant professional who works for me and uh, he's found your company. He's interested in what you do. How do you sell to me in a simple way that I can understand what your platform does? So um, I will use an analogy that, that um, I use quite often to try to describe how there's these converging technologies that have really changed the landscape, not just for the golf industry, but but all businesses in America, right? And so I'm talking about things like the access to high-speed internet, the revolution of cloud computing, um, and the proliferation of marketing and communication channels. Um, and so the analogy that I like to use is, hey, in 1995, when you wanted to market your golf course, it was pretty straightforward. 
right? You called the phone book and you made sure you had a little listing with a box around your number. And when things weren't going that well, you called the newspaper man or you called the uh, television station and they put a little spot together for you and you sent them a check for 10,000 bucks and you didn't have to invest any time in that, right? And so the act of marketing communication and the amount of systems that you needed to use to grow revenue or engage customers at your facility was, was pretty small. Um, and what's happened now is we have so many of these systems that are out there that it's almost unreasonable to expect any uh, person whose primary responsibility is running a golf course or running a department at a golf course to have expertise in all of these different areas, right? So if we just take the marketing communication vertical and we we go, okay, we used to have the phone book and newspaper advertising, and we fast forward to 2022, and we've still got some sort of phone listing that needs to happen out there. We might be doing some print, maybe, maybe not. But in addition to that, we have a website that we need to manage. We have an email communication that we need to manage on both a transactional and a broadcast standpoint. We have multiple social media networks that we need to manage. I mean, certainly Facebook and Instagram, but probably Twitter and TikTok need to be part of that mix as well. Um, and then you start thinking about we have a website and we need to have a separate e-commerce store and we need to have a booking engine. And there are all of these things that we need to manage. And it's just simply unrealistic to try to manage those all internally and be an expert in all of those different areas at the same time. And one way or another, you're going to need some partners to help support the strategy that you want to deploy across those systems. So whether that is bringing in a, a management company, right, who has experts in all of those areas and can help sort of get through the mud or bringing in different partners to help you with each of those specific areas. The, it, this all boils down to the fact that running your business is far more complex now with all of this technology than it was in the old days when many of the, the folks who were running courses in the 90s were there. And it's just a, a, a different way to look at running your business and, and partners and outside expertise are something that's required to be, you know, truly best in class in 2022. And, you know, lastly, this isn't going away, right? This is only going to become more complex as more AI tools, more technology, and all of those things come into our businesses over the next 10 or 15 years. With everything you said, and I'm sure John probably echoes those sentiments all the time when we talk about this topic, as do I. I, I believe in everything you said, and you're obviously an expert in your field and you know best, as is John. But I also think that with that in place, with the new technology, the new AIs that, that, come, in, that come into the field, you also need to maintain a personal relationship um, so how do you make a healthy balance between relating to people on a personal level so they feel heard, they are emotionally invested into what you're doing, and still make automation and technology viable and easy for them to use? So great, great question. And I think it boils down to um, communicating with your customer and treating your customer the, the way that they want you to, to treat them. Um, and so there are many golfers who... Uh, don't want to book online and they want to come into the golf course and they want to chit chat uh, and get their tea time booked and and have that personal relationship. And, and by no means am I an advocate for eliminating that. In fact, I think that that is one of the great things about our industry is the community of people who are passionate about golf and the people who are professionals, right. Who are working in the industry and then the customers and how well we can get along and, and share passion. 
Um, but at the same time, there's a whole nother subset of customers who really don't want that. And I'm talking generally speaking about the younger demographics, people that might be a little bit more time crunched. Like I, for one, you know, half the times when I want to play golf, I'd rather not stop into the golf shop, right? I'd rather head straight to the first tee because I'm probably pulling in the parking lot on two wheels and I just want to get my five range balls hit so I can not shank one off the first tee and, and get out there with my buddies. Um, and so you have to have an experience that resonates with those customers as well. And that's the more technologically uh, based one. But the mistake that we can't make is not delivering a personalized experience to those customers who don't want to talk to you directly. And that's where things like uh, communication segmentation, personalization, artificial intelligence that delivers the right message to the right customer at the right time can still deliver a personalized experience to a customer who only wants to interact with you digitally. Ross, you know, I wish I was my age today and you were 25 and I could hire you. That's what I wish. But <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. But so just with your interactions with golf courses, you obviously come into their environment, how they're marketing, how they're using technology. What are the biggest mistakes you see? You know, I, I don't want to call them uh, I don't want to call them mistakes, but I'll, I'll call them uh, I'll call them missed opportunities. Um, and I think the very biggest one is not utilizing Facebook and, and other social media advertising uh, platforms. Um, so, so often we will come to a course and we will start pulling, you know, their Facebook engagement data. And a lot of uh, people in our industry want to measure the number of followers that their Facebook page has as an indicator of how successful they're doing on, on Facebook specifically. And I'm, I'm using Facebook as just an example here, but this is more widespread. Um, well, the fact of the matter is that the, the social media algorithms are only going to deliver your organic social media content to around 10%, sometimes less, sometimes a little more, around 10% of your page followers. So if your strategy on social media is purely focused on generating organic social media posts and increasing the number of people who follow your page, you are leaving by far the lowest hanging fruit on the table because only 10% of your page followers are going to see that content, right? And so if you think about the amount of time that you need to invest into social media to create good content, and then that content's only be, being seen by 10% of your 2,000 followers, it's almost not even worth doing that if only 200 people are going to see the Facebook post that it took you two hours to put together. So you absolutely have to layer in advertising on top of that. And you can take that two-hour time investment and throw another $100 on top of that. And you can expand that reach from 200 people to 20,000 people, right? And that is just... There's so much efficiency in spending that $100 um, that that is the number one thing that I'd recommend everyone do. If you are using Facebook organically or any other organic social media platform, you must invest advertising dollars in that platform as well. Otherwise, you're not using it efficiently. In that vein of what you just described, which is not even disputable at this point, is creating quality or good or entertaining consistent content still as important as ever, even though a limited number of organic people will see it? Or is it more important than ever? It's it's as important as ever, for sure. Because though you might uh, get that initial impression, 
uh, via an ad that's more targeted and has a CTA, uh, the, the likelihood is that person is going to look at your profile page and they're going to start to scroll through your content to see what you're all about. And if they make their way over to your profile page and they start looking through your content and all they see is you trying to sell people things, they're not going to become an engaged user. Yeah, they might buy the Valentine's Day gift pack that you put out that that was the ad that they clicked on, but they're probably not going to become a really engaged customer that you have a really strong tie with. However, if you have organic content, if you have videos of your head golf professional giving a little golf tip and you have some behind the scenes content of your staff having a really fun time putting together an outing, right? And you have a video of your superintendent explaining why uh, you use a certain kind of sand for top dressing or, or whatever it might be. All of that content supports building that strong bond with the customer and allows you to generate loyalty, right? Without having to generate any actual loyalty program where they earn benefits or anything like that. Just the pure emotional bond with your con with your content is what comes out of that organic social media content. And I know that what you're talking about now can be very intimidating to someone who may not be familiar with Facebook, but that's the whole idea of what you produce at your company, right? Is it a dashboard that helps organize, measure, and really assist in the use of the data points you find? You bucket it up and you present it and then you explain it. Is that a, a pretty good general uh, review of, of how you can help uh, approach someone who may be intimidated by exactly what you're talking about with Facebook? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So um, we we have integrations with you know Facebook and Facebook ads and Instagram and, and all of those things. But I think what it really sets us apart. And, and one of the things that, uh, you know, going back to the entrepreneurial conversation, one of the things that I really struggled with, there's all these marketing agencies out there in the world, um, and they are happy to help you with your marketing strategy, but they really don't want to dig into how that marketing strategy is actually impacting your revenue. Right. So that it, it's been sort of a black hole in the, in the marketing world is, yeah, we might have great metrics on Facebook engagement, but is that actually driving revenue to the facility, right? And that's the question that we as at Metolius want to be able to answer for our clients. And that is why the first thing that we did was build integrations into the T-sheet system and the point of sale system so that we can track the effectiveness of a marketing campaign that goes out on Facebook. And how does that come through into the point of sale system? How many of those did we sell? Was the advertising worth it? Was the time investment worth it? And, and when we talk about the marketing side of our business, we're looking at that dashboard every single week with our clients, understanding how our marketing activities are impacting revenue, and then iterating on that moving forward and truly implementing a continuous improvement process that's based on data for all of our clients. I love that view of how you can truly impact a club operation by helping the profitability. It was the number one issue that we developed golf back was I didn't see the interrelationship between all the technology partners that we were working with and our green and car fee revenue, right? And and you're actually putting some concrete figures uh, in front of operators so they can review their programs, make decisions, and frankly, figure out where the mistakes are, but also where uh, the benefits are of the different programs that they're deploying. I love it. It's what we got to do in the industry. Yeah. And golf, you know, golf back is amazing. And, and the, the fact that the booking engine, you know, ties in and you can track revenue, you know, compared to the email promotions, right. You know, exactly how many dollars every single email you sent produced 
Now you can start to really look at your business a different way, right? Because you can understand, hey, is it worth the time to put this email together if it's only going to generate 27 bucks, right? There's probably not ROI there because frankly, putting together emails takes time. And yeah, it might not take, you might not be paying an agency for that, but somebody's doing that work and, and there could be work that that is of a higher value that they could be doing. And so this whole concept of marketing attribution is something that's only going to become more and more important, but it's really the foundation of how you grow a business. Well, Ross, you are a wealth of knowledge and we greatly appreciate everything that you're sharing with us today and lending your insight. But now the, the seat is immediately going to heat up because it's time for the, our rapid fire segment, a Virginia Tech themed edition this week. Are you ready for this? Ooh, I, I can feel my seat getting hot already, but yeah, I'm ready. All right. It's a long flight from Metolius, Oregon to Virginia Tech, isn't it? I believe it is, it's a, bit, it is a long way. That is correct. <laughs> and several of these questions are stupid and one is poignant. Ramble, the first thing that comes off the top of your head uh, doesn't have to be long. The shorter, the better. It is rapid fire. So first and foremost, Virginia Tech edition with Ross. Best watering hole at Virginia Tech for a poor college kid to get hammered on a budget. Top of the stairs. Let's do it. Give me some jazz. Shots. Patrons on the rocks and I'm ready for some shots. <laughs> no I'm so glad, so glad you had an answer for that. So go to top of the stairs and you got to ask for a rail. Uh, and a rail is like a Long Island iced tea's big brother. Oh, so good they, Lord. They literally take every bottle of liquor that they have in the rail and they fill your giant cup about, I don't know, three quarters of the way up with that. And then they dump some grenadine in and then maybe some Sprite or something like that. If you can get that thing down, you know, as a poor college kid, right? That, that was right. what you did. You got one rail, 11 bucks. You're good for the night. Uh, so See, top of the stairs, go there, have fun. It's an awesome place. Well, you have to get back down the stairs at the end of the night, it sounds like. so. <laughs> oh, sometimes you fall down the stairs and, you know, it's just part of the game. <laughs> Virginia Tech alum, Del Curry, overrated, underrated, or best known for being Steph's dad? Ooh, I think underrated. I think underrated. And I have to throw this out there. So Steph Curry wanted to go to Virginia Tech. Oh. And he was not recruited by the coach, who I will remain nameless, but he is a commentator on ESPN at the current time. There it is. All right. Ever hang out with D'Angelo Hall? Because uh, defensive back for the Washington Commanders, class of 2005, which I believe you are too. I mean, he didn't graduate. He took the easy way out and got selected as a top 10 NFL draft pick. So maybe we shouldn't count him. But ever seen him around campus? Uh, actually, I have. Um, in my sophomore year, I was hanging out with uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers. And we spent some time with, uh, with a few of the football players. So yes, I actually hung out with uh, D'Angelo Hall and Dion Provitt, who I don't think went to the NFL. I'm trying to remember a couple of the other folks that I spent a little time with, but uh, just a little bit of time with uh, with those guys. But some other football players uh, worked worked at the country club with me that I that I knew a little a little better. Jordan, do you know that I actually rushed the field at a Virginia Tech game about 2004, I believe. Ross was probably there. They were playing. Well, are we talking? Are we talking Miami? Was that the yeah? Miami, Miami game? was ranked number one. Uh, Virginia Tech was nine. I was visiting a couple buddies and. And uh, I was getting pressed against the fence, and it was kind of scary, but eventually got on the field. Were you on the field too, Ross? I was 100% on the field with That's you amazing. <laughs> wow, we could have bumped That's into each other. That's awesome. Oh. Like, hey, want to take over the golf industry someday? <laughs> yeah, sure. Is your hammer, you're hammered. All right, would Metolius Golf 
feel comfortable hiring class of 1974 Virginia Tech alum Bruce Arians to run day-to-day operations. All right, we're going for two, and we ain't stopping. We're going to keep this band together, and they know how to win. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, he, he's he's up in that box for a reason these days although the bucks maybe, are terrible maybe like client relations you know i think that that could be a good spot or or, or maybe even uh, as like a content person right take take uh, the great life golf guys out get them whiskeyed up and you know get show them a good time bruce is your guy you better have exactly but I, HR I, training. <laughs> I don't think i'm putting bruce behind a, a keyboard you know writing sql queries anytime soon no, definitely not. Um, all right. Camille Shire, class of 2018, Miss America of 2020, also went to Virginia Tech. Do you know her? Can you get me her number or at least a campus email? It's got to be first initial last name at virginiatech.edu or something like that. Yeah. Plus like the the number of people who have had that name, which I think probably it's probably zero. So I bet you'll get it. And uh, though I don't know her, um, I will say Virginia Tech leaves your at vt.edu. Okay. Uh, email All address right. open for your entire life. I still use <laughs> mine. Uh, so you got a shot. That's the way to do it. I mean, this is for research purposes, of course, and only research purposes. Serious question. When you go to college, you have resources at your fingertips. We don't always appreciate it at the time or at the moment. Sometimes you're too busy rushing the field, too busy getting hammered um, at the top of the stairs. Is there any like moment or connections or that you made with professors, with students, uh, or something that you learned a lot of our listeners who end up going to college, and we know it's not for everybody. You can be successful a myriad of ways in 2022. But what advice would you give for someone who is going to go to college? Um, is there a significant lesson that you learned while attending Virginia Tech or a, a memory or something that you took with you that you still utilize to this day? Yeah, uh, so awesome. I'm glad you asked that because I do um, I do have some some thoughts on this. And I, when I went to Virginia Tech, I thought I was uh, I thought I wanted to uh, work on Wall Street. So my initial majors were, um, you know, economics and, and political science. Uh, and then when I, you know, decided that I, I wanted to stay kind of in the, in the hospitality golf industry, I, I switched over to hospitality management, which was still, uh, in the business school. And, and that's really kind of the key point, um, that I want to, want to make is that, um, I was very fortunate that the hospitality program at Virginia tech is very, very financially, uh, based. Um, and so I got a very, very strong education in um, how to understand the financial aspects of a business and understand if that business is performing well or not. Um, and that served me immediately the moment that I left Virginia Tech when I was started working. I mean, my first job out of college was working. I was running a club that was owned by IntraWest. And, and at the time, IntraWest was the largest resort owner operator in North America. Um, and so I'm this little lowly club manager at this little 27 hole facility in Vermont. But I'm talking with people who have PhDs in, in statistics and MBAs on a regular basis. And so having the, the, the foundation of understanding what people are saying when they say, hey, you need to create a line item budget, or why do we not have a GL code for this, or your balance sheet is jacked up. Um, I understood that. And I think having that financial basis allowed um, those people that were above me on the totem pole to kind of give me a little bit more uh, responsibility because they felt that I, I could understand what's happening through the rest of the business and how small decisions can have big impact. So I think it is critically important 
uh, to have a really strong understanding of how finance and accounting works. Um, and then you kind of learn everything else along the way. And, and, and I, I just have to say, I am such a believer that you don't need a college education. I, I, I think college educations are great and I'm very happy that I had mine, but at the same time, I learned how to write SQL, you know, watching YouTube videos and stuff. And if I didn't learn that stuff watching YouTube, I would have never been able to start Metolius, right? Because I wouldn't have been able to get a proof of concept together and, and get people to think about what's happening. So you don't learn everything you need to know in college. But if you can get that financial basis from college, then you can learn everything else you need to learn on down the road. The Golf Exposed Podcast and Great Life Golf would like to issue another very special thanks to Ross Leggett of Metolius Golf. Metolius helps golf courses and private clubs leverage cloud marketing and information technology tools. They combine technical skills with operational experience to deliver you 10 times the results in one-tenth of the time. Be sure to visit metoliusgolf.com. That's M-E-T-O-L-I-U-S-G-O-L-F, metoliusgolf.com. And thank you once again to Ross Leggett. This has been the Golf Exposed Podcast. For CEO and President of Great Life Golf, John Brown, I'm Jordan Michael Colson, and be sure to visit greatlifegolf.com.